0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 188 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Hands On Gloves, the all-in-one shedding, bathing, and grooming gloves. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. Today we have Sabine Rajabeek. This was... Um, really good find for our horsemanship radio. She's um, quite the trainer from Netherlands, and you'll have to listen carefully. She does retain that accent, but she is just a dynamo, and I think you're going to love her. And we've got one of my favorite people on Earth, Angela Tanner, who um, is almost like part of the family here, too, and her story will be relatable to a lot of people for their love of horses. (laughs) This is Debbie Lauchs, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and then 15th of the month, and I have my producer who makes it all happen, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. See, I just get to chat, and you have to do all the geeky stuff. I don't know how you do it. (laughs) (laughs) Push all the buttons and remember to save all the files is what I've got to do. You never fail me. You never fail me. That's why we always have a horsemanship radio. And I hope people appreciate the fact that that always comes out on the first and the 15th of the month with just oh. no fail. <laughs> Don't say no that. You're fail. gonna jinx us. Is that it? Okay. I'm knocking Let's on wood. Say that.
2: <laughs> it's like saying your horse hasn't lost a shoe.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Keep yes. that to
2: yourself. Okay. Well, I, I did I uh, am really looking forward to listening to today's guests because um Sabine is an amazing dressage rider, trainer, instructor. She's one of those rare people who can combine all of them.
1: Yeah. And she you know, loves her horse. You know, yeah. And, she
2: and she's, she, because she understands all three of those different points of view so well, she's such a beautifully well rounded, um, horse, I'd say horseman, horse person nowadays, we say. Okay, so so I'm really, really excited to hear what she has to say, and of course, Angela Tanner, just uber smart, and she she takes that uber smart and brings it to a place where people like me who are not uber smart (laughs) go, ah, I feel smarter.
1: So, Uh, yes, she is such a kind and loving person, a real animal lover, and um, you know, she uses animals. I think like a lot of us like to as a balance in her very busy and brainiac life
2: yes and, and that's lovely because i think a lot of us associate people who are extremely intelligent with being emotionally robotic and it's really not in her for, with her she proves right there yeah. animals are good for all people not just you know horse lovers they're for good for everybody yeah inside and out that's inside. true yeah so let's get right to it right after we hear from our sponsors we wouldn't be here without them Hands-on gloves, the best way in the world to get the nooks and crannies clean and massaged on your horse or dog.
3: Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and am I excited to bring you the news of a revolutionary new all-in-one shedding, bathing, grooming tool, hands-on gloves. They are fantastic. And you believe me, I've tried them all. Hands-on outperforms traditional curry combs, shedding blades, metal bristles, and all those things. Most animals will gravitate to you for more grooming and petting time. If you wear them, your animals will love you more for it. While using the hands-on gloves, you can easily handle water hoses, shampoo bottles, lead ropes, leashes, and anything you want with them on your hands. They are easy to clean and they massage muscles and stimulate circulation while helping to distribute natural oils for a healthy skin and coat. Hands-On is changing the way we bathe, de and groom our animals forever. Hands-On gloves. They are fantastic. <music>
1: Sabine Reisenbeek is the head dressage trainer at Flying Change Farms in Loomis, California. Sabine holds an international trainer's passport, Level 3, from the Netherlands and has more than 30 years' experience as a rider and trainer of sport horses. She trained with Piet Utu, a trainer of the Dutch national team for the 1984 Olympics and... Hink van Vergen, trainer of the I have to apologize for these names, but you know, I'm not Dutch, but trainer of the silver medal Dutch team at the Barcelona Olympics in 1992. Very impressive. Sabine was shortlisted for the Moscow Olympics and trained several Olympic horses and a number of horses that have successfully competed in the Dutch national championships too. Sabine teaches riders from the training level through Grand Prix dressage. Her emphasis on classical dressage, personality positive reinforcement, and ability to truly teach, the rider makes a wonderful instructor. Besides dressage, Sabine also trains many of her clients in show jumping, too. When Sabine isn't home training and riding or instructing, she also travels to conduct clinics for equestrians of all levels. She has been featured at many top clinics, working alongside international trainers, well, welcome. I'm really excited to have Sabine and Monty on. We've introduced Sabine and everybody knows Monty. And uh, I'd like the, the listeners to know that even if she doesn't brag on herself, Sabine is the head dressage trainer at Fain Change Farms in Loomis, California, and she holds an international trainer's passport, level three, from the Netherlands. So, and you're going to hear that. Hi, Sabine. How are you? Hi, Debbie. I'm very, very good. Thank you for my invitation for this show. I'm looking forward
4: to chat with my childhood hero, Sir Monty
1: Roberts. Yeah. <laughs> very nice. And Monty, we have you on too, because I know you and Sabina met at Western States Expo, and it was it was fun. It was really fun.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think we cleared out a few booths around us just having fun, didn't we?
5: It was great. Yeah, it was great.
1: Yeah. So Sabine has more than 30 years experience as a rider and trainer of sport horses, which is pretty, pretty deep. And I know dad always says that he didn't get into the horse business until he was like three or four, you know, and was fooling around after (laughs) before that. So um, we're going to hear a little bit about your upbringing, Sabine. Were you always were you born into horses or is this a new thing? Uh, no, I was not born into horses
4: because, um, no, my family not. Only my granddad had horses, but that was more working horses to walk in the orchards, apples. Uh-huh. Because the Netherlands, uh, the big deal in the Netherlands is apple orchards. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but then after that, no. So, but riding on horseback in Europe and definitely also in the Netherlands is really a national sport. Like here, basketball and football and that kind of thing. So actually, and especially also in the United Kingdom, so kids really go to the riding schools to just ride horses, and uh, and that all happens, of course, after school because in school we don't really do have those sports. So you have to do that after school. So you pick up your friends and let's go and ride horses. And then you go to the (laughs) widening schools. And that is the biggest difference a little bit with the United States and Europe because everything starts still in 2021 at the widening schools in uh, Germany, United Kingdom, and and the Netherlands too, of course. There is where it all starts. Yes.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, how did we get so lucky to have you come all the way over here and help us learn all that you know?
4: Uh, Well, you know, I was for a long time in the Netherlands, and I did do it all. And sometimes, uh, Debbie, life pushes you in another direction, and I needed a break. And uh, I needed a break from the Netherlands, from the weather, and from the rain and the wind and the storms. Because, Mm -hmm. yeah, the Netherlands also, they have very high educated resources. And they have all those beautiful outdoor arenas with super footing. But it's not nice to stand there at ten o'clock in the evening, every <laughs> evening in the rain with three jackets on and three hats on. So I so and I had the opportunity to give a clinic in Phoenix, Arizona, and I took my opportunity and that's why and I needed
1: to break through it. But I love the weather. <laughs> 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 you must not have been there in a July. Perhaps it was more, a more. January, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, it is beautiful in Arizona. We're lucky to have you here in California now, too. What what brought you to California?
4: Well, just to be honest, of course, Arizona is still my really my beloved state. And uh, I like to go back all the time, and I do. But it is, of course, uh, uh, for dressage question trainers, not really the state. It's all about the western stuff and little jumping. So there is just not enough work right there and california did you know i i did keep all the time the clinics in california and then i thought okay i did move now in my life three times i do it another time so mm-hmm. i'm going to try to do it one more time in california and um and that's why i ended up in california and it of course is great
1: yes <laughs> Great. Well, I, you know, we're we're lucky to have you, and it was really fun to have you at Western States. I know that Dad was pretty excited to see the lessons that you were giving out there. You had some beautiful horses out there. How did you arrange for that to happen at Western States? Is that something where they were invited to be under your tutelage, or did you bring them in?
4: Uh, well, I have a relationship with the Western North States. Uh, States uh, that, that, with the X boy have a relationship, and I think I did already do it for nine times. And even the first two times we brought over, we brought the horses over from Tucson, Arizona, just to do the expo. So, and then we stayed here, of course, longer to do some uh, CDI shows, et cetera, et cetera, with the show horses. So I have a deep relationship with them, and they ask me all the time. And I think, come on, guys! Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, we want you because you really sell the dressage, and you have the entertainer and all your energy. I said okay, then I do it. So then actually, Debbie, it's not too complicated because I just call my clients, okay, and they love to participate at the expo. And yeah. then and then I and then I move that around a little bit. That I have some jumpers in there, and I have some eventers in there so i try not only to do let's say the really the dressage riders but i mix it up because that is also my my profession it's not that i only train and teach um the dressage riders but also very much the dressage from the eventing and also the jumpers they realize more and more that they have to have a little bit more flat work so i do mm-hmm. that also and then i just call them up and I make my list. And that's why I have all the time really a lot of horses there. And then, and that makes it all a little bit easier. That
1: yeah, yeah. was fun. That was really fun. It was like a three-ring circus. It was really fun watching you march around there and, and help all those people. So, you no, know, you said that Monty Roberts is a hero of yours and that you it was exciting that you got to meet him for the first time. Now you've got him on the phone. What, what about his concepts or philosophies made him a hero in your eyes?
4: Well, you know, uh, yeah, of course, Monty was very much a lot of times in Europe and probably you too, Debbie. Our culture is completely different at, uh, at least also 50 years ago, okay? So mm-hmm. when you talk about cowboys and Indians, yeah, it's really cowboys and Indians, okay? <laughs> so, and then, yeah, it sounds really childless, but that, that's the way it starts. So you start reading books about it, you know, and what are they doing? And I always have that, and I still have that, that I like to know, what are they doing? <laughs> How mm-hmm. are they doing that, yeah? And what is a wild pen? You have to understand that he rocks Is a wound pen. A wound pen is a circle. That's what is closed in. So we had no clue what that was in, you know, 50 years ago. Wound pen. So that's easy to be told. Oh, that's easy. They also can use the round term, yeah. So and that and then you start reading about, yeah. And I really believe, of course, Monty, but um, I in my world he's still one of the founders, you know, in our uh, education. What did he do with those wild horses? And that he talks about that he just did go out there and that he sleeps under the moonlight to watch the wild animals. Okay. So that is for us in Europe where where, where you cannot do that. So And that triggers you. You know what I mean? That is just that you think, okay, and now we are catching those wild animals, and now what are we going to do with that, okay? And that always intrigued me a little bit, and, and, and actually it still does. That's why... I think it's very important for every trainer in any discipline that we have to listen to each other and that we can learn from each other, even if we write a different kind of. Uh, let's say, uh, a, a creature, though, because, yeah, bloods are a little different than the quarter horses, et cetera. So, uh, but yes, yeah, so that, that comes up. And it's the same, not only with Monty, they also wrote books about George Harry uh, Larry DeLarry, you know, who, who bought that $5 million horse, you know? Exactly. So that you grow up with that. You grow up with that, but I did go always a little deeper. Okay, what is he doing then? Horses in a train? how can you put a horse in a train that is very much for kids in the Netherlands still a horse in a train. You are crazy. You know what I mean? (laughs) So, so, and that's, and that's, I can stop about that, but that's the way it started. And I always wanted to know, and that's why it was so nice for me to be in Arizona, uh, to see how also how they did do that. And also here in California with uh, probably, you know, them also very well, Quinn and Dave, uh, we for you know how are they doing it and how are they teaching because I'm a teacher. You hear mm-hmm. it in my voice. I am in and in a teacher.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and what is it about? Dad, I, you can jump in here too. What is it about the the teaching, the, knowing the nature of the equus? It sounds like you're you're wanting to know at those wild horses, the nature of horses. What did you extract from those teachers that taught you more about the wild horse?
4: Just um, yes, indeed, yeah, besides that, how to catch those wild horses, you know. Okay. They can, okay then the training starts, okay. Yeah. Then the training starts. And, uh, you know, and then you need skills. Okay. And, of course, uh, Monty also has the skills, okay, because you can talk about it, yeah, and everybody can try it. But you only have a few people who really has that as a skill, we call that, who has that in the fingers, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and and the skill, how he brings those horses in that round pen and that. And that is the difference. And that intrigued me, too, because Monty makes the horse move. He lets, so he needs, the horse needs to move and it has to canter and has to canter. And then he waits till the horse actually calms down and then it starts chewing and then the horse comes over, okay? And that is the opposite what we actually sometimes still do in Europe is those young stallions who are really are a handful, Debbie, they are, they are slowing the horse down, okay? Uh-huh. They tell them, not so fast, not so fast, not so fast. With gotcha. the lunging, slow down, slow down, slow down. And he is turning that completely around. No, he makes the horse move, and sometimes I make a joke, okay, they start the horse and they can to Montana, and there the horse says, "Okay, <laughs> now I'm yours, you know so so that and that is a really good approach too, because sometimes when those horses are so much to handle, those stallions make them move and wait. And mm. um, Monty can can interfere me here, and then you wade till it calms down and tells you, okay, I like you, and then the relationship starts. That's that's Very much the opposite in Europe. They try to, yeah, they they chase it around, and then the horse has to listen because it has to slow down. And he waits till the horse is slowing down by itself. And that, I think, is a great concept.
1: Choice-based. What do you think, Dad?
5: I'm so pleased that You know, people are listening, and and Sabina proves that people are listening to the fact that you don't have to be violent, and they do have a brain, they do think, and they respond to us, and it isn't speaking English, necessarily, but it's speaking Equus, and uh, I'm so lucky to have been born and raised in a place where I could learn these things. One of the things I wanted to ask, Sabine, was uh, your farm is called Flying Change Farm, yes?
4: Yes, it is. Yes, yes.
5: Yeah, and um, recently, Debbie and I did um, a thing for the internet because while I'm not flying, I'm changing. And I'm 86 years old, and (laughs) all of the changes are not, terribly comfortable sometimes but the horses change and uh so we did a thing with horses changing and we're changing too did you see it on the internet it would be on facebook yes I guess.
4: Yes, yes 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 of course because yes i'm on there and then yes so that's what i do in the evening then yeah that's facebook and unfortunately it's a very big deal but no i thought I follow that all, oh, and I, oh, yes, worldwide, what they do, et cetera, yes. But I did see the changes. Yes, I did. Because now the last three weeks, it was a little bit more about Sir Monty. So I did go a little bit deeper, again, deeper in his philosophy. Yes, I did.
5: Oh. Well, that's so nice of you. And, um, you know, it's it's the horses that we have in common, and they are our friends. And we can learn from one another, the racing people can learn, the jumping people can learn, and of course, uh, all of the disciplines can learn from one another if we don't get sort of selfish and say, oh, my way is the only way, you know, because there's never a way that can't be improved.
4: Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely, because every horse is different, and the breeding is different, and and sometimes you have easy horses, and sometimes you have just a little bit more intelligent horses who make it a little bit more difficult. And there is the knowledge, Sir uh, Monty, and we need to all the time. We need to educate ourselves all about the knowledge. Okay, here's this difficult horse. Let's look what Monty is doing. Let or there's the Versailles world. You know what would they do in Germany or? somewhere else and I think it's very important that all trainers and I am wise and old enough to say that that the old trainers still need to do that yes
5: oh that's that's so nice and I agree with you that sometimes those most difficult ones uh, are the most sensitive ones and they are our champions if we get it right
4: Absolutely, because at the Olympic Games, there are the most, well, world request, you know, that there are the most sensitive horses, and they have always a lot of people, and yeah, and and they are ridden by very, very, very good riders, but, you know, in our world, we really have, of course, let's say, a swimming pool with a little bit more fishes in it, and there needs to be the knowledge that we can help the lack of riders, and trainers to help them out how we can think, through how they have to deal with that. Yes.
5: Yeah, you know, one of the most sensitive horses I worked with is a horse called Lomitas, and he was in Germany with the Jacobs family, and uh, it looked like he was going to be banned from racing worldwide for the rest of his life, and they called me in. And he turned out to be horse of the year there. And uh, he and his son have earned over 50 million U.S. dollars. So they're the champions if we get it right for them.
4: Yes. Yes, yes, I definitely, absolutely, I agree so much with you, absolutely,
1: yes. Sabine, yes. one yes. of the things that I read about you is that you have a large network of, of facilities, horse facilities and trainers around the world, and you've made a niche for yourself in finding great horses to bring back to the United States. What are some of those qualities that you're looking for?
4: Well, so, yeah, of course, my 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 special is, of course, still the dressage horse, okay, Debbie? And, um, yeah, the breeding in the United States is making a lot of progress because we in the United States is doing really well. And it is, of course, because of the frozen semen, et cetera. And people invest more and more in it. So the United States is catching up fast. Mm-hmm. But, uh, what I, what my uh, thing still is that we need to try to find horses for the adult amateurs who already have a very good training from Europe. Okay? That the foundation is there, that the training is there, because Amer- Americans are sometimes not so patient, so they like to buy the horse, sit the horse, and let's go to the show in two weeks. Okay, yeah. so and and that, that that is true. I mean, it's not that I'm on a joke here; it's a little bit true. So that's why we still try to find those. Um, and I am from Europe, and I know the education, of course, that we try to find those horses with this very good foundation in the dressage training that when those horses come over that the European trainers can step in right away so that the horse is not confused, you know, that he gets the same sort of education. And then we try to match it, of course, with the, let's call it the adult amateur, to make that the match so that they can start showing. So the U.S. also is moving forward fast, but the horses are still a little bit younger. And, yeah, I just also just throw it out there, there are very active expensive in the United States. So in Europe, of course, you have so much more horses who can on the same level, at the same level. So that brings the prices, of course, a little bit more realistic. I don't want to say down. The prices are more realistic. And the yep. US does not have that big bucket with horses, so that makes it extra expensive. Um yeah, so and also like to 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 help my clients that it doesn't need to be all the time so expensive, only uh, yeah, it's a little harder because they are coming from Europe is the trip and how can we ride a horse, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera.
1: Yes. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, we're we're getting pretty good with all that technology now. Maybe COVID helped us a little bit with uh, being able yeah. to them from afar, do you go to Europe quite a bit then going back and forth, or do you do a lot of it by technology?
4: Uh, yeah, so COVID did hold the whole thing, of course, up, okay, and it is still not really uh, uh, right at the moment with the traveling. But mm-hmm. yeah, so then, um, th- but we have our network too. So if I really need a horse from the Netherlands, I call my colleagues, uh, train us, you know, okay, Then I tell them, go there and there to that one and try that and that horse and video. And there's the video, of course, yeah? yeah? And then talk to me. So then it's not only on video that when... Uh, 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 when when this rider is uh, trying the horse that we have immediately a connection and with, with FaceTime or whatever on the computer and then I can ask him or her question, go faster, go slower, do this, do that, you know, and that makes it then a little easier, but it is always, of course, very difficult because where is the match with the adult amateur? So when you know your clients very well, them in the way they ride and in the way that put the pressure is on the horse, because there is also monty. it's all about pressure on the horse. They always tell eight, no, yeah, it's pressure, you know, more and less pressure to make it very easy. So if that is a good match, but yes, the, 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 yes. So, so the technology really did help it out, but it's still difficult when they are here, Mm -hmm. because when they are here, they are still a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're still, you're still starting young horses, I guess, right? Or bringing them on anyway, right?
4: Well, yeah, well, I don't break in, in anymore, Debbie, because I had, of course, like all of us, I think only Monty is still in a very good shape. I had a very, very, very bad accident. I think oh. we all sometimes one in our lives. We have a very bad accident. So, um, so what brought me also, yeah, the rehab was long. But anyway, I'm back on the horse, but no, breaking it in. And young horses, that is now for my assistance. They have to take that over. And, and, uh, but yes, no, I'm the training is still very, very normal and very, you know, top notch, but not the young horses anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I see because you riding a
4: lot. I come off, I yeah, I don't come come off. off anymore. Do that not be
1: good. Yes. <laughs> it's never pretty. <laughs> yeah. that's right. Well, how do people yeah. find out about you? I, I, you know, they'll be intrigued. I know people will love to uh, get a hold of you. How do they find you?
4: So, yeah, so I have, of course, my website that is then sr.dressage.com. Okay. And um, and I need to update that. I'm very honest. I do. not But as you also know, Debbie, it all goes more and more on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. And I just talked this morning. Okay, I need to update that now a little bit. But they can find me. Yeah. So the uh, the the
1: addresses and the phone numbers are of course very up to date on the website. Uh, Go find Sabine and uh, and and use her to find your next horse and use her to learn how to ride the one you've got. So. So I'm so glad to have you on. Dad, wasn't that fun? Isn't Sabine always fun?
5: Oh, it is. And um, it's just such an Can I do this again, thing.
4: Sir Monty? Can I do this
1: again? Because i
4: like to uh, talk again about the education from trainers from the United States and what the difference is with, you know, there's a license and a certificate and that kind of stuff. Because actually, also Americans should know that, that it is a little different that they ha- when they start writing. And it doesn't matter if it is in the Western world or jumping or dressage, that they have to be a little bit more attentive that those trainers are really know how to deal, uh,
1: do the jump, yes, even from the start, yes.
5: Well, I think Debbie can arrange that.
1: Yes, that'd be a great subject to do. We just answered that question. Dad just had the question put to him about certification in the United States. I think that'd be a great subject. Let's book that back yeah. in, Sabine. Imagine if you could take Monty to the barn with you. Watch and learn as he addresses each challenge with your horse and answers your questions too. You head to the arena and you work on each new lesson knowing Monty's there to encourage you, all with violence-free, tried-and-true methods. After all, he's been helping train horse lovers all his life. With his online university, you could be like Kathy, a retired teacher who just bought her first horse.
6: Recently, I went to a tax shop to look for a smaller halter. Um, 61 just purchased my 14 hands POA the day after my birthday, just a few weeks ago, after never having had a horse. And yes, that's crazy. But as a retired teacher who never had a hobby other than teaching, I decided to go for it. My hubby and I have taken lessons this past year, but I really longed for a relationship with a horse. Um, the only other experience I'd ever had was to ride a horse in Philly, Pennsylvania, my hometown, when I was 16, and I got bucked off. And that was it <laughs> until I was 61. Um, well, the owner of this tax shop, um, this is precious lady, 84-year-old lady, gave me a copy of this magazine, Equine Mon- Monthly. And the article I read in it was, Horses are Biofeedback Beings. And it was just so interesting. I really felt like I just found a pot of gold when I read it. Because in it, it talked about Monty's online university and that I could have access to 575 videos for $10 a month. And before that, I was just searching YouTube for everything I could find. But truth, truthfully, that's just a pain. Um, I love that the uni videos are concise and they, they're in order. Um, they have extra notes and a quiz. And I just can't thank you enough for the huge blessing of your online university really has changed my life, and I will never be the same. Um, I've had my horse, Jack, now for seven weeks, and thanks to the videos, I've done join up with him, and it really worked like a dream. Uh, I had to do it in an arena, but it still worked, thanks to Monty's lessons and the cues and the hand signals. Um, The ability to watch the lessons over and over on demand is incredible. So I also want to thank you so very much for making the online university affordable for this retired teacher. Thank you so much for all that you do for everyone who really
1: wants to love a horse. Kathy. Angela Tanner is founder and executive director of the Knox School in Santa Barbara, California. Advocating for her own sons, she formed a school that would incorporate both the intellectual and academic needs of gifted children, as well as the equally important and often overlooked social and emotional needs of this unique population. Dr. Tanner earned her BA in psychology and business from UCLA, where she graduated with college honors, magna cum laude, and Phi Beta Kappa. Before graduate school, she worked at a marine mammal laboratory in Honolulu, Hawaii, studying bottlenose dolphins. Then she returned to UCLA to earn her doctorate in cognitive neuroscience, where she employed functional brain mapping techniques, specifically functional MRI. Her work on learning and memory spanned the psychology department and the human brain mapping center. Dr. Tanner was awarded the, a PhD in cognitive neuroscience in 2000. She also is the proud owner of Lorien, the thoroughbred horse. Well, welcome, Angela Tanner. We met first probably when you didn't have the last name, Angela Tanner. Hi, how are you?
7: I'm doing well. Thanks, Debbie.
1: Goodness, when was your first time at Flagazup Farms and how old were you? Um, you know, I'm going to forget actual
7: years, but I was, I was, um, pre, it was college days and mm-hmm. then I came back, um, after grad school. So yes, I was in my, my early twenties, I think. Um, and we're now 30 some years later, so.
1: That's right. Oh yeah, don't don't give too many details. Then we have to pin you down on your age. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> yeah, but it, the point is that it was a, a ways back that we got to know you first here at Flag and and you were interning as I recall.
7: Uh, yes. Um so my my first official uh, position there was as an intern um for a few weeks. Um during which I, I had the opportunity to do my first join up and that really got me hooked. And then I came back for several other clinics and classes
1: and, and the story continues. So, yeah. 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 We were so glad that you did. And, and tell me about your horsey background then. What, what had you into turning on at a flag is Up farms that intrigued you about horses? Were you always into horses or was this a, a first touch with the toe?
7: Well, I, no, I think my story with horses started as it often does as a very young horse obsessed, uh, little girl, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my family background, uh, on my mother's side, were all horse people. Um, they lived in in East Prussia, um, which was part of Germany way back when. And, um, they were all horse fanatics. Um, my grandmother did everything side saddle, uh, dressage and, uh, fox hunting. And, um, my grandfather played polo and was in the cavalry. So, uh, Uh definitely horse background, but it skipped my mom completely. Um, Mm -hmm. She has hay fever and um, is scared of horses. So oh, <laughs> gosh. <is> trans- <laughs> me. <laughs> but um, so, yes, I think it's in my blood, probably.
1: Yeah, in the DNA, we like to say, right? These horse girls. So yeah. that's great. Did you say fox hunting side saddle? I'd love to see that. Wouldn't that be crazy?
7: Oh, right. Yes, I have her um, side saddle um, outfit um, for huh. the hunt, um, which is just amazing. Um, I don't know how these women could jump and everything else, side saddle. I think
1: that's truly amazing. Truly, truly. Yeah. Yeah, Go women back then. That is just amazing. That's cool. So you got it in the DNA and you wanted to keep it, which is really fun too, because we lose a lot of girls at 16, 17 years old or off to college. And so uh, what made me pick up and stay in it uh, when you're said you're a very cerebral person. Now you've got a few degrees under your belt and yet horses stayed in the DNA. What did you study in, in college?
5: Uh,
7: neuroscience. So um, undergraduate cognitive psychology, and then the doctorate in, in neuroscience. Um, but I think that's actually probably one reason it stuck with me is because it balanced out my life. So, you know, to, to become too intellectual, um, you know, sometimes they have to paint some fences and, you know,
0: <laughs> okay.
7: um, we get outdoors. And I think um, that balance has really been in, important just in, for my own mental health. Um, and, you know, you ask about choice. I am mean, I'm not so sure I had a choice. I think, you know, when you're in love with horses, they they stay with mm. you continually, whether or not you're, you're able to be with them in any phase of your life, but somehow they always pull you back in. So I'm not so much I'm not sure how much choice
1: I really had in the matter. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. The big magnet that is a horse. I love it. (laughs) It's great. It's true. It's true because women find their, and men, find their way back around, don't they? Sometimes when it's, uh, you know, whether it's uh, financially uh, capable to do it or your time, your kids are grown or whatever, we just do feel that a lot of women are getting back in, yeah, 40, 45 or something like that.
7: Yes, exactly. I mean it's a time consuming and expensive hobby.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so that's one true. one doesn't
7: always have either the time or resources. Um, but you know, even even when I, I had enough time and no resources, you find ways of hanging out at barns and nice, you know, smelling horses wherever you can. So ah,
1: that's <laughs> so true. <always> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we were fortunate enough to scoop you up because you do speak German, Sprecken's a Deutsch, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and we sent you back, and you agreed too, which was really great um, because you were you were a young married woman at that point. We sent you off to Germany and threw you to the wolves <laughs> a little bit on tour. Uh, but I needed yeah. I desperately I despa- right you agree, I desperately needed um, a merchandise manager, a tour manager to represent us over there in Germany. This is when, gosh, what year would it have been, Angela?
7: Yes, I should have done my research. Um, oh, it's all right. Really
1: 2005, idea. 2000 something four, maybe something like that. It was it was a while back, and uh, we were just really getting our feet wet to have a team in Europe and and working that out and just not relying on instructors. So you did an amazing job. Uh, and there are stories out of that, t- that tour that um, will probably never be told outside of, <laughs> in the public, but, but there were some crazy stories of meeting crazy people who are trying to set dad up. Right? You know, the whole thing with is it real or is it not? And how did you hold your own with all those over there besides speaking German? You're such a nice person.
7: Oh, yeah, good question. Um I I think, you know, the integrity of Monty's methods is really what inspired me. So if I was truly present him, I had to stay kind and gentle and non-judgmental as mm-hmm. you know. He also teaches uh, with horses, and so you know a lot of the lessons that I've learned from from Monty when they're directly tied to techniques with horses, uh, I've used throughout my life um, with raising children, with um, you know start school, with with just life in general. Um, and so I think that that tour was part of that. There are obviously some very strong personalities, and all you can do is do what you think is right, and. Work with honesty and openness, and and then the chips have to fall where where they where they may. So, I I think again, you know, I I uh, I wanted to do
1: Monty proud and and be what he was teaching. <laughs> oh, you're so, and you you so did, and I so appreciated it. So it was a, a real strategic time for us in setting that whole. Um, European tour on the right track. And you really did set us up for success over there in building that team. So I, again, I thank you for that too. And then uh, you started, you founded a school and I know this is a a kind of a departure from horses, but I think it was an important turning point in your life and uh, certainly something you must be proud of.
7: Yeah, it was one of those times where everything I had done in my life just came together. Uh, All these things that didn't seem connected um, before like you know neuroscience and horse training and I, I trained dolphins for a while and all of a sudden it, it all came together in kind of a philosophy um, which is a, a lot based on Monty's principles and so the school it's now in its ninth year um, you know it uses three main principles from Monty uh, one of which is you know when adrenaline is up learning is down and um, you have to feel safe in order to learn optimally, so that, that's the core concept of ours as well. Um, you know, don't be afraid to allow the horse, or in, in this case, the child, to make mistakes. Um, allow that to happen because it's an opportunity for learning and growth. And then, you know, coercing someone into learning just doesn't work. Um, mm. and more and more do I believe you cannot coerce a child. Um, into into learning something so you make it enjoyable and interesting and they will want to learn you know just like the horses so um interestingly enough a lot of Monty's principles are, are what we use daily as part of our mission at the school
1: mm, yeah fantastic and it, it is a fantastic school very you're a trailblazer on so many things and um, so bring us back around to how you got back to flags that farms and now i get to see you more often Yes. Um, well,
7: so where do I start?
1: <laughs> well, um, a gray I, man, so, a gray man, I think. He,
7: is yes, exactly. Um, I guess, you know, after after my, I'll start with this. After my year as a, a roadie with, with Monty, um, mm-hmm. my husband and I moved out to Boise, Idaho. Um, and in our first month there, something happened that kept me connected to flag for those 10 years that we were in Idaho, despite the physical distance. Um, and that is when I was an intern at flag, I would spend my evening hours admiring all the beautiful, you know, long-legged racehorses in the racing barn. And I met one of their owners. And a year later, he called me and said, I have this gelding for you. Um, he's not racing well, he is gelded, so I can't breed him. Would you like him? Um. And I was speechless because nobody had ever offered me a horse before. Mm -hmm. So uh, especially with lines that included some of the most famous racehorses in history and one that had cost him 42,000 as a yearling, I was just totally starstruck. Mm -hmm. Um, and I said yes without really thinking. So I, I ended up on this 20 year adventure with my dark bay off the track thoroughbred named what a friend, Mm -hmm. um, And we have learned a lot together. Um, I'm sure I've learned a lot more from him than (laughs) he learned (laughs) from me. Um, He demanded I practiced everything I learned from Lonnie, you know, breathe and get your timing right. Stay patient. Don't take it personally. Keep a sense of humor. Um, But, um, you know, through these 20 years, um, even though he was what a friend is part of our family and. He's in every Christmas family photo, and yeah. you know he's he's back at Flag now um as well. It was just never a um, I'm going to say a comfortable relationship. Um, I felt his talents were above my capabilities. I felt like his energies and sensitivities were more than my anxious-prone system really enjoyed. Um, but I didn't want to to give him it to anybody because I thought he's too smart and sensitive. People would want to break him, and so. I just didn't trust giving him away. Um, I wish the Ride Horse Initiative and, you know, Horses in Transition and all these programs existed, or at least that I knew about them back then, Um, because I think for horses as well as for people, it's it's great to have, you know, that right match. But um, I decided this year, um, as what a friend turned 22, um, to retire him. Uh, Not because of his age, because he still acts like he's four, but because (laughs) even at 22, he requires too much of me um, physically, emotionally and mentally. And, you know, my job can be stressful at times. When I'm coming out to the horses, I wanted that to be the time that I could relax and um, have it be pleasant and and the work be pleasurable. Um, So I kind of resigned myself to believing that was it for me. I wouldn't own another horse um, because what I love in that is thoroughbreds and their look and their sensitivities and their spirit and all and what I need, um, I thought were mutually exclusive. Um, I I need a gentle, calm, grounded horse at this point in my life. And I just didn't think those two, um, you know, existed um, simultaneously. Mm. So, this is where I learned yet another lesson from from Flag because I had been unconsciously generalizing across an entire breed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, the trouble with unconscious thinking is you can't challenge it because you're unaware of it. So <laughs> Flag and uh, its horses in transition program brought me brought that unconscious thinking to my awareness and, and challenged it. And I started to watch those horses on the pastures from the horses in transition um, program. Um, I noticed uh, a a large gray who seemed very kind and gentle. And, you know, something in me stirred of my assumptions about off the track thoroughbreds started to break down. Um, And a few weeks later, I learned that that horse had been adopted by a young boy. And I felt this huge but very strange sense of loss, that I had lost something I didn't know I wanted. (laughs)
0: Um,
7: And that started a conversation with um, Silent Flag, where I... Decided to explore and communicate these, you know, then vaguely formed feelings. Um, and I asked him if he thought that somewhere in the world was maybe another gray thoroughbred gelding who was kind and gentle. <laughs> um, and uh, he assured me there was. I don't think I believed him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, I spent a lot of time thinking through my priorities and I gave Simon my Mary Poppins wish list of. All of the things that I would really love to have in a horse um, for a relationship that would be easy, um, comfortable, pleasant, you know, but still interesting. So a few weeks later, enter Laurian, who's a five-year-old gray, off-the-track thoroughbred gelding. Um, and when Simon introduced us, it was love at first sight. Um, he's gorgeous, but most importantly, as I've learned, he has a temperament that really suits me. Um, and I, I love being with him. So, um, yeah, I just I spent a significant amount of time getting to know him before adopting him. I watched him on on the pasture for hours to see how he interacted with other horses. And I watched him with other people. And we spent a lot of time exploring Flags Up just to get to know each other. Um, And I just I feel incredibly lucky to have found him. Um, And I I credit, you know, well, is Up. Monty, uh, Horses in Transition programs, everything and everybody at FLAG for all the lessons I've learned throughout my whole tenure there. And for these programs that most recently brought me my
1: heart horse. So just incredibly grateful. That is a wonderful love story that continues on. There were some important points you made in there that I don't want to be um, lost on us either that you you took a long time to observe this horse Lorien and you watched him from the ground a lot of people you know they they make a airplane ticket from whatever city they're coming from they carve out two and a half hours or something to go jump on a horse and you know and hope the saddle fits kind of thing and try to make a decision on that 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 sometimes that's all we have but i hope that you know there's a lot of videos before that people start to have a relationship with the horse almost before they even touch the horse just by observing i think that was really important what you said i love that and then i think um, the fact that you you know what you need now i sometimes that just takes time in life and experience but yeah. but making that list of things that uh, it's it's fair to the horse when we know what we really are capable of and really are seeking out. Some people will say, gosh, I I see these highly competitive things and I'm a thrill seeker and I would love to do that. But horses aren't motorbikes either and they aren't machines. So um, is that something we really can do? Is our heart, you know, is it a little bit like our eyes are bigger than our stomachs kind of thing, right? <laughs> so um,
2: Yeah.
1: Right. We have to have an appetite for these forces uh, and find those at our level of, uh, of skill sets and everything, too. So the other point that I think was important is that you sought out. Advice and professionals to make that decision. You just didn't choose him by color, although he's really pretty. He's really pretty. <laughs> but you didn't just say, gosh, he has one blue eye. I'm just sold, you know, and and we do get people who who try to do that a little bit, too. Or, you know, I can't do another Bay thoroughbred. Well, Hello, there's a lot of Bay breads. So, you know, it Hi. better it really is better off if we can do it by um by a, a real educated choice too. So I'm glad that you you made that example for us and shared that story too. And how did you first hear about the transition horse program? So we full name we call it is the Monty Roberts Mustang and Transition Horse Program. And we were really fortunate to partner with the Right Horse Initiative, which is a program now of the ASPCA. We actually partnered when they were independent, but now they have the backing of the ASPCA, which really helps with grants and things like that but um, we launched in fall of 2020 uh, live on horse and country tv for five days with uh, about nine horses is that where you saw us or did you just happen oh you were you had friend on the farm so you may have seen the horses first that way you let us know tell us yes
7: well um there was a a program at flag years ago called willing partners and i thought Ah. you know that something really wonderful that if i could have a horse that i thought either had whether it was a remedial issue or whether it was caused by something i was doing or to have um somebody at flag have their eyes uh and and be able to work with um with them at flag so i think in in talking about that somebody told me about the the transition program Uh and um just looking, yes, so what a friend is um, is boarded at flag on one of the beautiful pastures out there and, and just noticing all these new horses coming in and asking where they came, came from and what their story was. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think um, that's, you know, that's the point where I, where something in my soul started to, to stir. Yeah. Um, you know, to one of your points, I think I had, well, I know I had misconstrued, you know, one of Monty's um concepts that, you know, it's never the horse's fault, was mm-hmm. I had translated that into the, the fact that what a friend and I weren't this perfect match, it was my fault. And if I mm-hmm. just got to be a better trainer or better horseman, um, I could fix that. Mm-hmm. And I think um, the the wisdom that comes with age and <laughs> experience mm-hmm. is that, yes, most likely, but if you're not really enjoying it, if it's not if it's not something you're looking forward to, then then what's the purpose behind it? You know, the, this was pleasure writing for me. I, I was not a, in competition or anything. So I think um, just as much as perseverance is important, letting go is, is also important. And that, you know, again, that's part of being a 20-year-old and, you know, having the ego of I can do anything and I should be able to do anything. Um, and when you're 40 and 50, you realize you can't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have yeah. to. Yeah. And you don't have to, I think, yeah. it's a really important part. So, yeah. 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 That's very kind of you. You're a kind owner, and I know there's a lot of kind owners maybe listening to this and thinking, yeah, but I'm really worried where that horse will go. But there are there are opportunities for retraining, and there are opportunities for different environments that, you know, if you do explore those things out there, look us up. Uh, you know, write to me, come to, come on our Facebook page and ask questions, and or come to our website and Contact us and ask questions because there's a lot more options than people may have had twenty and thirty years ago to either get a horse or um, you know move your horse into some get him in a new vocation. You know, repurposing horses is a better way to look at it than you know. I, I I like to tell the story of the horse that is has been in competition has a great background knowledge of a discipline, but is getting older, you know that could be that horse could go from a professional to an amateur to a young child and be a real tutor uh, or a real mm-hmm. nanny for that that young rider that's coming up too. So keep your mind open of the possibilities that a horse's phases could could go through just like human phases go through too. You're a school teacher and you founded a school, you know that there's, you know, nothing is stagnant. Everybody's changing and hopefully growing. And um, that means that there's lots of opportunities changing all the time. And it sounds like that's part of your story too, is uh, we can't lock ourselves into one uh, belief or one job or one system um, without looking at the possibilities. It, you know, in OTTPs, I'll put a plug in for off the track thoroughbreds too. A lot of owners go in to ownership of a thoroughbred without an exit plan. <laughs> and they often oh, retire, right? They often retire yeah. at three, four, five years old, maybe if they're just not going to be quick enough on the track, um, the owner runs out of money, whatever it is, there, there should be an exit plan. But let's help those owners out there who don't have that exit plan to consider these beautiful athletes that just need a little polish or a little retraining on them, a little socialization. I love that. You found Loriane in a pasture, and and that these horses get to be horses out with the boys or out with the girls, and they're not bubble wrapped and kept in a twelve by twelve somewhere. So, um, thanks for for putting that out there too. It's something that people can consider um, that isn't, you know, it doesn't break the bank if you can get them if you can get them settled down off the track to put them out to to a pasture of gentle horses. So.
7: Oh, yes. And I think it's actually better for their systems to, to stay down as well, you know. So um, yeah, I, you know, there, there are descriptions of these horses on, on your website. Um, and I think it's wonderful that the staff at FLAG work with the horses so they can speak to both the horse's disposition and their physical abilities to know, you know, possibly what disciplines would suit them best. So I think this is incredibly valuable because it's, it's an objective assessment by professionals, whose only goal is a successful match. Um, yeah. and I think that's fantastic, and that's a great starting place. And then, yes, the more time you can spend with a horse on the ground, I, I think I spent probably three weeks with Lorian before I ever got on him.
2: Yeah, there <laughs> um, you go.
7: Yeah, you know, to get to know who they are and uh, are you compatible? Um, I think is um, is incredibly important. Obviously, that's not possible for everybody, but um, the more one can do that, I think the the better the match um, may be. So, yes, yeah, I think it's a it's a great program.
1: Beautiful. Thank you for sharing today, Angela. It was really, it's great to hear those individual stories, and I hope people will be inspired by it.
7: Well, um, I want to thank you, Debbie, because obviously you've been um, 30 years in my life now or more. Oh, my gosh.
6: Because uh, <laughs> we were
7: only five when we met, right? Right, Flag <laughs> um, has been, you know, the best learning experience of, of my whole life. And um, again, it goes into all different parts of my life. So thank you to everybody there.:
3: Leave this world a better
1: place mind. The magic in the language of: the Today for our trainer's tip, we have up next Dr. Susan Raymond from Canada at the Guelph University. We're really fortunate to have her give us a tip today on emergency preparedness. Welcome back, Dr. Susan Raymond, Communications and Programs Officer at Equine Guelph at the University of Guelph, Ontario, Canada. Thanks for joining us again. Well, thank you for so so much for having me again. Well, it was a real interesting uh, interview that we had with you, and we wanted to have you back to share with our listeners a tip, because I know you do so much work with not only horsemanship, but also with emergency rescue. What tip do you have for us today?
0: I would say my tip of the day is to make sure that you're prepared for disasters. Um, look at nobody wants to think about this, but look at your facility and where you live, and think about what potential problems could occur. Whether it's ice storms or floods or drought, any sort of disaster or fire, anything. Look at it and decide if that were to happen, what would happen at your barn? Uh, do you have some pre planning in place? Uh, have you pre-planned what you're gonna do, and then if the event actually occurs, what's your what's your plan for in in the event of a disaster? Mm-hmm.
1: And is there uh, do you have anything on your site that can guide people? Where would they begin? Well, on our
0: site, on the equine Guelph site, we do have a range of tools that can help in terms of emergency preparedness. We okay. have both um, with equine Guelph, this is our year of full circle responsibility. In terms of equine welfare, on our homepage we have a a section that goes right to our full circle responsibility program. Within that you'll see a whole range of resources, but one is on emergency preparedness. We have both a feature article, but we also have a really useful info sheet that you can go through in terms of check boxes and looking Mm -hmm. at your pre-planning checklist for your facility and then what to do around the barn and around the farm.
1: Okay, so it's like making sure that you don't look like a fire hazard around your barn, or that you have you have emergency medical clinics or uh, little kits in your tack room, or just give us a few hints at what you. Yeah, exactly. In
0: terms of uh, you, yeah, you hit a very good point. In terms of fire prevention, uh, looking at your your barn, do you have uh, even if you have fire extinguishers? uh, If you have fire extinguishers, do you know how to use them? Are they in working order? Um, yeah. Things like making sure that you're in touch with your local fire department uh, with your pre-planning checklist. Um, make sure it's mapped out uh, all the dwellings and the buildings and what hazardous materials could be where. Because you have to remember, in, say, the event of a flood, some of these things might be submerged yeah. in terms yeah. of the fence lines, um, in terms of, you know, that propane tank that's sitting there. It might be underwater. Um, Outlining and practicing your emergency evacuations and your fire escape plans that's pretty important. And looking at where you're going to contain your animals in the case of if you have to evacuate. Mm-hmm. Um, making sure a lot of us may not be at our farm all the time. We might have full-time jobs that we're working elsewhere. So what happens? Are you in contact with somebody that can help that may be closer
1: to your facility if in the event of an emergency? That's a great tip, too. These days, nobody has a landline to speak of anymore. Where do you put your emergency numbers? Do you pre-program them in your cell phone? Do you have them in a special spot?
0: They, they should be pre-programmed, but if if you do have landlines, um, if you do have a landline in your barn, make sure everything is posted besides the phone. You can't mm-hmm. just assume that one you'll remember uh, yeah. the phone numbers in the event of emergency, but also you don't know who's going to be at your facility that's going to be helping out. So making sure that the whole your whole address is mm-hmm. listed beside the phone, make sure you have your emergency phone numbers, um, make sure, just make it very user-friendly um, because right. you don't want to be second-guessing yourself if
1: an emergency is occurring. Yeah, good tip. I can't tell you how many people come up to Monty and me, too, and say, well, you know, my horse is never loaded on the trailer, but, you know, we don't take him anywhere anyway, so why should he learn to load on the trailer?
0: Hmm. That's a very good point. I mean, again, if it's an emergency situation and you want to try to evacuate your animal, that may not be the time to be Training your
1: horse to load. Training the horse to load. That's exactly right. And that's pretty much the, the reasoning we give every time too. Cause a lot of people have given up and it, it's just, uh, scary, especially in Australia where they start getting those fires. Heck, anymore in California, we're about, we're about toast to toast and burn right now. <laughs> right. So yeah, everybody should do. That. Well, thank you so much. That was great stuff. I appreciate that. Everybody could use some of that. I'm sure not everybody is completely prepared. We, I mean, even if, we haven't looked at our, our fire extinguishers for a while. We should that's a good <laughs> reminder. Yeah. Thank you very much, Dr. Susan Raymond, for joining us again and giving us a tip. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page.
4: What in the wide,
3: wide world of sports is going on here?
0: Where in the world is Monty Roberts?
1: Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. And we've got August right here. August 2nd through 13th is our Gentling Wild course, the 10-day model. That's just with a weekend in between. And then August 16th through 20 we've got Monty's special training. And that one will be filmed for our Equus Online University, but it's even better in person. And?
2: If you want to find out what's going on at Monty Roberts University and at Flags Up Farms anytime, anywhere, anyplace, you go to montyroberts.com. All the information is right there, including links to the podcasts. And you can also call Flags Up Farms and speak with a lovely, genuine, knows what's going on sort of human being. And it's 805-688-6288. That phone number is also, by the way, on the Facebook, on the... uh, website. You'd be amazed website. how often things like location and telephone number are not found <laughs> on people's websites, but it's on Money Robertson. Really?
1: Oh my gosh. Guys. It's, it's easy on. to Contact. do. It's easy to do. This is Reese Koffler-Stanfield.
0: And I'm Philip Parks from the Dressage Radio Show. We are the official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation, and we love talking all things dressage. As two professional dressage writers, we enjoy bringing our friends and colleagues on the podcast to share our knowledge of the sport. We have interviews with writers, trainers, authors, and judges to bring you information, stories, and writing tips about dressage. We invite you to come on over to listen to our show at dressageradioshow.com.
2: That about wraps it up for today, Debbie horsemanshipradio.com. That's where you're going to find links to today's guests and topics. You're going to go to Facebook to follow along on social media. It's Monty Roberts with a little blue check mark. You're going to go to Twitter and Instagram to follow along on those social media platforms. In both cases, Monty's handle is Monty underscore Robert. I forgot the S. Roberts. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) It's new to me. I've never done it before. (laughs) (laughs) And to get all of your favorite Horse Radio Network shows with you, Wherever you go without forgetting and not without missing an episode like this one go to your go to your iPhone or Android app store search for Horse Radio Network and download it today
1: yeah, it's the best way. Many thanks to our sponsors, too. That's Jay Michelson at Hands On Gloves and their team. Amazing. MontyRobertsUniversity.com, our reason for being. And be sure to visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.